there's power in thanksgiving. There's something powerful and therapeutic about offering thanks to God. Because you can't complain and thank at the same time. I dare you to try to complain and think at the same It does not work. You're going to get tongue-tied. You might get choked. You might struggle. You might get strangled. But you cannot think and complain at the same time. Why don't we just try for about 30 seconds. Just begin to thank God for everything that he's done for you. And you will find that there is no room for complaining. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. I want to talk today about an impetus for intervention to intervention. There's power in thanksgiving. Thank you, ushers. James Baldwin, the quintessential American writer and playwright who broke new literary ground and with his exploration of racial and social issues in his many works, has been revered by some as one of the greatest writers in the 20, 20th century. Baldwin was especially known for his essays on the black experience in America. He had an exceptional way with words. He had an exceptional way of deconstructing language, and also an exceptional way with what he described, or in a way of describing, I should say, the performance of American life. Some have argued that few people, somebody shall few people, have been able to distill the experience of being black in America, like Baldwin, who once so famously said, that to be black and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Baldwin's powerful and poignant insights from the past are probably more vital now than they've ever been, especially for the times in which we live. It's no secret that we're living in times that are not only traumatizing but grievous. Times that if you watch the news or you are connected to any social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the 24-hour news cycle, there is always something that'll make you mad. I can go ahead and tell the truth since you all won't. At least once a day I get mad about something. At least once a day. There is some breaking news that comes across my phone or a tweet or a Facebook status that makes my neck burn. I can't get no help in here. It makes me angry when I see a chief executive, one of the leaders of the, one of the, leaders of the, of the world, who is almost paranoid about immigrants and caravans, but his silence is deafening about gun control despite the fact that mass shootings happen on almost a weekly, if not a daily basis. It makes me angry every time I watch his blatant disrespect and bullying of brilliant journalists like April Ryan and Abby Phillips and Yamiche Alcindor, I think that's her name, and even uh, Jim Acosta, who got his pass back, thanks be to God. 
when all they are trying to do is report the news with objectivity. I was even a little hot this Thanksgiving in the midst of eating my turkey and dressing. When instead of him sending out thoughts of goodwill and demonstrating civility in leadership, he spent Thanksgiving tweeting about judges who make the world unsafe while downplaying the possible involvement of the Saudi crown prince in the killing of a U.S. journalist. Baldwin was right when he said that to be black and conscious, meaning to be aware of what's going on, to have a sense of mind, a sense of consciousness, a sense of awareness about what's going on around us is to be in a constant state of rage. The operative word is conscious. Because you can walk around with a shade over your face and miss everything that's going on. But if you're conscious, I wish I had some help. If you're conscious, if you have any sense of awareness, if you're plugged in in any way to what's going on and to some degree, because we are people of faith, have some sense of what it means to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. To be black and in America and conscious is to be in a constant state of rage. Balmer was right when he said to be black and conscious or even woke. Somebody shout woke. In America is to be a, a constant state of rage, to be even slightly aware of institutionalized oppression, of exploitation, to be slightly aware of the rise in hate crimes, the normalization of hate and violence imposed on black and brown bodies, to be marginally aware that systemic racism and marginalism still function in the 21st century is to be angry. Rage is what we feel every time we hear of an instance of profiling or racial profiling, whether it's driving while black, babysitting while black, barbecuing while black, caring for white kids while black, waiting outside a Starbucks or inside a Starbucks while black, swimming in a public pool while black, swimming in a private pool while black, mowing a lawn while black, selling water while black, and a plethora of other dehumanizing experiences that continue to suggest where if you are black, and you live in America, you assume to be less civilized, less capable, more dangerous, less valuable, and your life is more disposable in a country where black and brown lives don't always matter. I stopped by to tell you, Baldwin was right, that to be black and conscious, slightly aware, somebody shout slightly aware, to be slightly aware in America is to be in a stage, a state of constant rage. A world, Sharice, where to borrow the words of Dr. Frank Anthony Thomas, where we don't always feel physically and psychologically safe. Not only do we often feel anger, but there are times that we also feel anxious. Somebody shout anxious. Some of us are not just angry, but we also anxious because we live in anxious times. Anxiety doesn't just affect our political life, but it affects our personal life. You showed up today, and some of you are anxious. You're anxious about the things that are going on in your life, anxious about personal things that are going on in your world. Anxiety is the human condition. Paul Tillich said that anxiety is ontological, that it is an aspect of our being, that to exist is to be anxious. It is a part of our finitude. It's part of the limited nature of our life, that to be alive, y'all ain't saying nothing, is to experience some anxiety. 
some anxiety, even the anxiety that you don't feel somebody else superimposes anxiety on you. Because anxiety is always with us. It dwells inside of us. It dwells among us. Because not only do individuals, but groups and congregations and nations and an entire world can become obnoxious. The rise of white supremacy is symptomatic of white anxiety. It's symptomatic of what happens when you feel that the oppressed is going to rise up and take out the oppressor. The times that we live in particularly uh, uh, invoke anxiety because these are times of high anxiety. We're always on high alert. Almost as if we're in the airport. You know, if you travel a lot, you hear the messages over the intercom telling you that we are red or orange or yellow alert. We're living in times of high alert. It's always with us because there are always some circumstance, some situation some trauma, some dilemma that makes us particularly aware of our anxiety. Health concerns bring on anxiety, financial concern, particularly around this time of year. Because all of the commercialism of Christmas and all of the Black Friday sales, come on, I can't get no help in here. All the televisions that they got on sale, one TV that they advertise, and you killing somebody to get the Black Friday, running over folk, cussing them out to get one TV that you're gonna have to get a rain check for. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. Somebody shout anxiety. All of the commercialism that goes with this holiday and many of us who have struggled just to pay our bills are beginning to feel anxious because some of us have children and we don't know how to explain to them how they're not going to necessarily have what they wanted under the tree. Somebody shout anxiety. Anxiety that comes from receiving a doctor's report that you didn't expect to receive. And even as you're sitting here, your body is here, but your mind is on the phone call or the report that you're waiting the results for. Somebody shout anxiety. Changes in our workplace or our loved ones seem to be changing. Our national politics seem to always be moving in uncomfortable directions. Not only are we angry, but some of us feel anxious. Anxiety diminishes our clarity and objectivity. It interferes with our capacity to think clearly. It is triggered by a number of what-if scenarios. Common activators and triggers of anxiety are significant changes and losses. Sometimes we can make a movie just thinking about what's going to happen. Before it even happens, we can send ourselves into a fit, y'all ain't saying nothing, of anxiety just thinking about what's going to happen. What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough money to retire? What if somebody dies before it's time? What if I have to raise these children by myself? What if I enrolled in this school and I don't have the ability to finish the course? Somebody knows that anxiety can be the ruin not only of our lives but our relationships. It disrupts our thoughts. It prevents us from thinking clearly and making wise decisions. It can even affect our productivity. And if we're honest this morning, there are some things that are not just going on in the world, but some things going on in our world that have potential to keep us angry and anxious. And I believe <clears throat> that this is one of the reasons why Thanksgiving offers a necessary counterbalance to the emotions flag just helped lead into this that many of us find ourselves experiencing. There's power in thanksgiving. I stop by telling you, there's something that happens, y'all ain't saying nothing, when you start thanking God. I don't care how bad things are in your life or how much it's not all right in your world. 
I was on the treadmill the other day and that song, Lord, you are good, began to play in my ear pod. And I began to think back over my life about how good God had been. And all of the ways, Lord have mercy, that God had already made, not just in my personal life, but in the life of our church. And before I knew it, tears, y'all ain't said nothing, were rolling down my face and I was crying. I used to hear Reverend Curry say, you'll cry and nobody will be after you. You'll cry and nothing was wrong with you because something about thanking God. I wish I had some thankful folk that shifts the trajectory of my perspective. There's always a reason to thank God. I want to suggest that Thanksgiving offers a necessary, somebody shout necessary. Notice I didn't say optional. It's necessary to nurture an attitude of gratitude. It's necessary to nurture an attitude of thanksgiving because it offers a necessary counterbalance to the emotions that many of us find ourselves experiencing. There's power in thanksgiving there's something powerful and therapeutic about offering thanks to god because you can't complain and thank at the same time i dare you to try to complain and thank at the same it does not work you're gonna get tongue-tied you might get choked you might struggle you might get strangled but you cannot thank and complain at the same time why don't we just try for about 30 seconds just begin to thank god for everything that he's done for you and you will find that there is no room for complaining Thanksgiving is a necessary counterbalance to the emotions that many of us find ourselves experiencing, whether it's anger or anxiety, because there's something about nurturing a heart of gratitude, Pastor Marilyn, despite what is going on around us, as we heard Flag just testify, that has the power, the potential to break the power of darkness and the power of the enemy in our lives. I said there's power. In Thanksgiving, most of us feel particularly thankful around this time of the year. The word Thanksgiving has taken on a whole new meaning since the pilgrims and the Native Americans celebrated together in 1621. Since the first Thanksgiving, most Americans have layered the word with thoughts of turkey and dressing. Come on here. Cranberry sauce. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Honey baked ham, smoked turkey, candy yams in a warm kitchen. Cakes and potato pies. Come on. That's why y'all sitting there looking at me funny. Cakes and potato pies. All kinds of food. Plates piled high. It's stacked as high as they can go. And family gatherings. We plan and we shop and we cook in preparation. Even people who don't consider themselves to be particularly given to religious uh, things or sacramental things feel a pulling, a longing to express their gratitude to something that is bigger or someone who is bigger than themselves. We see examples of benevolence all around us. Everybody giving away turkeys on Thanksgiving. Everybody trying to feed the homeless. Come on, y'all ain't saying nothing. On Thanksgiving, everybody trying to give folk a place to stay. Y'all won't talk. On Thanksgiving, everybody trying to be benevolent and give somebody a piece of bread. On Thanksgiving, some of us even stopped and gave the folk that hold a sign, we'll work for food, $20 the other day. Because Thanksgiving invokes an attitude of gratitude in us, and we see all examples of benevolence around us. But I came by to tell you this morning, that Thanksgiving ought to be more than an annual event. 
Thanksgiving ought to be a lifestyle. The songwriter said every day, Rod, ought to be a day of thank. I'm going to wait for you to get this. I'm going to wait for you to get Because some of us been up since six and we ain't said nothing to God. So since you at church, I'm going to give you a chance to go on and make up for lost time and give God a thanksgiving for health and strength. The activity of your limbs, that you have your right mind, that you didn't have an accident, that the bullet that should have got you missed you, that the thief that thought about breaking in your house last night was there was a roadblock that stopped him. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to give God a hand clap and open your mouth and tell him thank you. I've been doing some reflecting all this week about Thanksgiving and I've discovered typically when we think of Thanksgiving we typically think of it God help me as a response to God's blessings. Hey Tracy. We typically think of it as a response to God's blessing. Whenever we come in contact with the grace of God, and you ought to be thankful. There's nothing worse than ungrateful folk. Reverend Curry used to say, Gratit- ingratitude is a sin. And see, when I was raised, the way I was raised, see, when we were raised, we, they didn't play that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't receive and not say thank you. From Muddier and Mama Nim, I'm talking to the people over 50 now. You couldn't be blessed and they give you something and you walk out as if you never received anything. I need some witnesses that know that some of us were raised to say thank you. Thank you will take you a long way. Thank you will open some doors for you that nobody else could show. Thank you will get you some friends that other folks have made enemies out of. Somebody shout thank you will open some doors. And you ought to thank God in response to every blessing. It ought, we ought not even have to pump you and pry you when you come in here on Sunday. You ought to enter into his gates. with that. We ought not have to do religious calisthenics. Y'all ain't saying that. Because when you go to a game, you come in there fired up. When They ain't going to wake you up in the morning. They ain't going to get Ray Ray and them out of jail. They is not going to heal your mama's body when she gets it. Uh, but we go in there with pom-poms and flat flyers and we hollering and we screaming. And then we come in here and the God of the universe has kept us and woke us up and healed us and sustained us and kept our mind. And we come in here and look like a statue. Clap your black hands. Open your black mouth and give God a praise I've been doing some reflecting I've been thinking Frida I've been thinking about Thanksgiving and how Thanksgiving is typically a response to God's blessing and really it's the truth it's the truth it's the truth it's the truth that whenever God does something for you you ought to tell him thank you I tell him thank you for parking spaces I Y'all ain't saying nothing. I tell him thank you when I circle around about 15 times. I can't get no help. And then all of a sudden somebody drives out so I can slide in. I say, hey, glory to God. What he doing? I wish I had some help in here that know that you better in everything. I got some witnesses with the parking lot praise. I just need the people with the parking lot praise to clap your hands and tell them thank you. Tell them thank you for every space you got at Macy's. Tell them thank you for every space at Red Lobster. Every space at Bonefish Grill. Come on, thank you for getting you in the space at Best Buy yesterday. Come on, clap your hands and give God some praise. And what I'm suggesting to you, Tara, is that whenever... <laughs> y'all pushing me I'm telling you y'all pushing me 
we come in contact with the grace of God, the appropriate response is thanksgiving. In fact, Jesus has something to say about ungrateful folk. There's a story in Luke chapter 17 about 10 lepers came in contact with Jesus. I'm in the Bible. And they came begging for Jesus to heal them. And Jesus knew that they had already been healed, but he told them. He didn't tell them they were healed. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Because in those days, the priest had to declare that the leper had been cleansed from ritual contamination. And there were 10 of them that received their healing and received their blessing. But the Bible tells us that while they were on their way to see the priest, one of them as he walked began to look at his hand. And his hands started to look new. He began to look at his feet. And his feet did too. And the scripture says, and when he saw that he was here, he went back and with a loud voice, he opened his mouth and began to glorify God for the healing that he had received. And when he went back, Jesus said, now hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Where the rest of them? <laughs> Weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? He said there's only one that came back to give thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus has something to say about ingratitude. Thanksgiving is commanded in the Bible. Thanksgiving is an appropriate response to God's blessings in our lives. We are commanded to give thanks. The scripture says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Thanksgiving draws, uh, draws our hearts to God and keeps us engaged. Thanksgiving will divert our attention from every distraction and cause us to be mindful, mindful, mindful of all that God has done for us. And it was this reflection on Thanksgiving that led to this insight that I want to offer to you this morning that thanksgiving is not just a response to God's blessing, but it is also an impetus to intervention. Somebody say impetus. And impetus means it sets it in motion. It's the force that sets something in motion. In other words, what I'm suggesting to you is that thanksgiving can set divine intervention in motion. We Thank you, scholars. We typically don't think of Thanksgiving in terms of post, I mean pre-situations. We don't usually think about Thanksgiving in terms of it being prevenient, meaning that it comes before the blessing. Come on, I know I'm right. I've done it myself. But the text today suggests that in, in impossible situations, we have an even greater incentive to give thanks. We see it in the text today as a classic example. Today's text, we see King Jehoshaphat, the fourth king of the southern kingdom. He was 35 years old when he became king after his father Asa, and he reigned for 25 years. None of the kings were perfect. In fact, the Bible tells us that many of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Jehoshaphat, somebody said Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is remembered as one of the kings who did more right than wrong. And King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah had a problem, somebody shout problem, because they were in a precarious position. A coalition of armies, you just read the text, had come in against them, a strong, vast army. Verse 2 through 4 gives us an idea of how strong this army was. And this strong, vast army, the children of Ammon and Mount Seir and Moab, came in against them and brought a sense of terror, Richard, against the inhabitants of Judah. 
Their enemies' armies were closing in on, in on them, and Jehoshaphat, in a way you might say, they were not prepared for this attack of the enemy. Some of you ought to be able to identify with that. You know that the enemy is always launching an attack against us. It may not be a physical enemy, but it could be a spiritual battle that we find ourselves facing. And sometimes we're not always prepared for the fight. Jehoshaphat was not necessarily prepared to fight this vast army. He needed to formulate a war plan. He needed a decisive declaration of action. Something had to be done immediately or else his enemies would have Jehoshaphat and his army for lunch. If Jehoshaphat didn't come up with a plan for his problem, he could, he could almost rest assured that the challenge before them meant that it would be certain defeat. He was powerless. He felt powerless in the face of the situation, so powerless that he cried out in desperation to God. In verse 12, we see the extent of his powerlessness. He says, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes when life presses in on us, we don't know what to do. I know that many of us can identify with what it means to feel a sense of powerlessness, to feel that we have no real agency to impact our lives or the lives of others, our environment and our world. I know that some of us know what it feels like to have things happen to us over which it feels that we have no real choice or decision or control. The sense of feeling victimized by others and helpless to respond to what is being done to us. There's at least 50 folk in here that have been in some situations where you felt as if there was no way out. There was no exit ramp. I feel that it's safe to say that most of us, if not all of us, at least once in our lives have been in a similar situation. Perhaps we were not facing a physical coalition of armies, but we have all had our own personal battles to fight. We have all had instances where we felt powerless and bereft of resources and at the end of our rope. And I've discovered that if you live long enough, you find out that trials come to all of us. Whether we serve God or whether we ignore God, trials are coming to all of us. Trials are no respecter of person. The enemy has no respecter of person. We find ourselves often buckling under the pressures of financial difficulty and marital conflict and habitual sin and physical maladies. We have all experienced difficult situations and circumstances in our lives that threaten to leave us crippled emotionally, mentally physically and psychologically because we don't see a solution to the problem somebody knows that life can be difficult that's why if I were not a preacher I still wouldn't miss church if I were not a pastor I still wouldn't be coming up in here grabbing onto the horns of the altar if I were not called to the ministry. I would still find a place so that I could not forsake the assembly because there's too much going on in the world. Life is too difficult to try to navigate life without God. Life can be difficult even for the believer. And even though we saved and got the Holy Ghost coming all out of our bosom and we do speak with tongues. Come on here. As the Spirit gives us utterance and we're saved from sin and we're filled with the Spirit of God. Life can be difficult. Come on here, Natalie Cole. I'm catching hell. Come on, testify, Natalie. 
Life can be hellacious. Life can be difficult. The vicissitudes of life, the vicissitudes of life cause us to feel as if we're in an ongoing battle with the world. But how many of you know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood? It's against powers and principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And the evil one has picked us out and placed us on his radar so that any given day there will be some kind of battle to fight. And when he strikes against us, life has a way of coming down on us real tough where we feel like there's no way out. That's why so many people opt for suicide. That's why you can't always judge people that take their own lives. That's why you can't try to send folk to hell because they reached the point of hopeless. In fact, the Bible didn't even say you was going to hell for committing suicide. Let me go help somebody right there. I ain't got time. That's a whole nother sermon. Since I'm here, I might as well say it. It ain't nowhere in the Bible where it says you go to hell for suicide. Now, you ain't supposed to kill yourself. Life is in God's hands. There are people that find that they are in a place where they have no exit, where they want an end to the pain. And the pain is so relentless that they feel that life is never going to get any better. And so they choose a permanent end to a temporary situation. What do you do when life is coming down on you? And there seems to be no way out when your relationship with God is being affected. What do you do when you're worried and afraid, when you're anxious, when you're in distress, when you feel angry? What do you do when you are facing insurmountable and monumental obstacles? What do you do when you feel powerless and you feel as if there is no way out? I raise all of these issues because I'm trying to create a 21st century understanding of the position that Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah were in. He said, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. They were outnumbered. The, the other folks had more military might and strength. He said, we have no power in facing this army. And from the looks of things, it looks like they were going to take him out. And the thing that made it even worse is that when nation, the nation had an opportunity to take them out, they let them off the hook. And now that they're in a similar situation, here they come closing in on them unexpected. And it looks like they are about to go under. Now, I want to suggest that there's a lesson in the manner in which Jehoshaphat responded to his feelings of powerlessness. It's in the text. And some of us won't necessarily see it as that profound because we often see it as something that we do after everything else has failed. But I need to tell you that Jehoshaphat shows us that there is something that we can do that is not a last resort, but it is a first response. His powerlessness led him to pray. Okay, I thought, I, I thought I'd get some help here. I said, see, I knew, I knew you weren't going to think it was profound. His powerless, powerlessness led him to pray. Can I suggest to you that there is nothing like the feeling of powerlessness that will drive us to our knees? Can I suggest to you? That there's nothing like being at the end of your rope that will drive us to our knees in prayer. Can I suggest to you that when you discover that boo-boo them can't help you and ray-ray them can't help you and mama them can't help you and the folk that you help won't help you. There is nothing, y'all ain't saying nothing, like a sense of powerlessness that will drive us to our knees in prayer. Second, Chron Second, Second Chronicles 20 and 3 tells us that when Jehoshaphat became afraid, he turned his attention toward God 
tell somebody, stop looking at me and start looking at God. Can I tell you that there comes a time that you got to stop gazing at your problems and you got to start gazing at God. You got to fix your eyes and look to the hills from whence cometh your help because all of my help comes from, I believe I have a few witnesses in here that have been in some situations where you couldn't do anything. You couldn't go backward. You couldn't go side to side. All you could do was stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's what Jehoshaphat did. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything. Somebody shout everything. Everything to God in prayer. Jehoshaphat said, we are not, with, we are powerless to face this vast army. We don't know, Marie, what to do. And you know, every now and then you need to just go and tell the truth. Every now and then you just need to go and tell God the truth. If you can't tell nobody else the truth, you need to learn how to be honest with God because I've discovered that honesty and transparency with God will make some prep you make progress with God. Sometimes you need to just say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Come on, come on with your deep self. Sometimes you just need to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I ain't figured it out. And if you don't help me, I'm going to mess this up. And I'm too old to keep messing up. I'm too old to keep making the same mistake over and over again. Do I have any company? Gotta feel my help now. Who know that every now and then you just need to tell the truth and say, I don't know what I'm doing, but my eyes are on you. And I'm so glad, Melinda, that the record is that their prayers were not in vain. Because his prayer resulted in them getting a prophetic word. Somebody shout prayer, get you a prophetic word. Oh, I've been in prayer sometimes, Frida, and I've heard God speak to me so clearly. I've been in prayer sometimes, and I've heard God give me solutions to problems that I know had to come straight from the throne room of God. I've been in prayer sometimes, and God has given me solutions that made me feel like I was real smart and real brilliant and real intelligent. But it wasn't my intellect, it wasn't my brilliance, but it was revelation from the God who sits high and looks low. Can I tell you that when he began to pray, he got a word of prophecy from the Lord. There was somebody in the audience, and the text tells us who he was. His name was Jehaziel, but they gave us his lineage so that they would know that he had some foundation in his prophecy. You know, everybody want to be a prophet now. Everybody wants to be yay, yay, and thus said the Lord. But Jehoshaphat didn't just take the prophecy from anybody. Jehaziel was somebody that had been rooted and grounded not only in the worship of God but he was from the descendants of the Kohathites and the Korahites. In other words, Jehaziel was a Levite. He had served in the temple. He was from a lineage of people that had worshipped in the temple which suggests that Jehaziel had some kind of relationship with God. And while Jehoshaphat was praying, Jehaziel stepped up and under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost he began to speak to Jehoshaphat and he said look here I got a word from God somebody ought to shout that every now and then it's good to get a word from God he said this here is what the Lord says you don't have to be scared look at somebody said don't be scared and you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be discouraged and you don't have to be dismayed here's your shout cause the battle 
is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Can you just take a few seconds and look at your neighbor that's looking straight ahead and tell him that the battle ain't yours, but it belongs to God. And Jehoshaphat received the revelation and he gave the people an unconventional plan. He said, tomorrow, somebody shout tomorrow we're gonna climb up by the pass we're gonna find them at the end of the gorge and when we get there we're not gonna have to fight we can take our positions and we can stand firm and see the deliverance that God's gonna bring to us and when he told them to get in position you would have expected him to put the army first but the text says that instead of him calling the army he called the worshipers. I wish I had a few people that understand that worship is warfare. He put the praises in front of the army and the Bible says that early in the morning they left for Tekoa. He said to the worshipers he said listen to me people of Judah. Have faith in God. Can you just preach to somebody? That's a good to say to your neighbor, tell him have faith in God in spite of your difficulty. Have faith in God in spite of your frustration. Have faith in God in spite of your tears. Have faith in God in spite of your fears. Have faith in God. He said, look here. This is what we're going to do. We're going to place the men at the front of the army and they're going to do just one thing. They're going to pray the Lord in the beauty of his holiness and they're going to open their mouth and begin to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Can we stop right here and just begin to thank God for his mercy that endures forever. And the Bible says that when they begin to sing and start praising, look at what happened. It was an impetus for divine intervention. Look at somebody say, can I shout now? Or do I have to wait? I didn't say human intervention. I said divine intervention. Cause when they opened their mouth and began to sing, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his mercy and his love endures forever. Heaven picked them up on his radar. And the Bible says that God sent ambushment on the men of Mount Seir and the men of Ammon and the children of Moab. And they ended up turning on themselves. To this morning, but I got a sneaking suspicion that some of you all here got a few enemies that are setting traps for you. But I come this morning with a different battle plan. I come to tell you it's time for a new strategy. Open your mouth and give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. forever. Grab somebody's hand. Shake it and rock it. And rock it and shake it. Tell them this shout is not for what I'm getting ready to get. But I'm going to praise God 
do But I'ma praise him Like it's already done Let the redeemed Of the Lord Say something Come on here And get the praise team Come on here And let the worshipers Open your mouth And give God praise Can you praise him And tell him thank you Like it's already done Shake that hand trumpet praise him with the psaltery and harp praise him with the timbrel and dance praise him with string instruments praise him with the organ praise him on the loud cymbal praise him high sounding cymbal let everything that had breath let everything that had breath let everything that had breath say thank you for how you Thank you, how you taught me. Thank you for how you kept me. Thank you, you never left me. And why are you praising? He's working. Why are you thanking? He's shifting. Why are you thanking? Rearranging. Why are you thanking? Making a way out of no way. Shout yeah, 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 yeah. The voice of triumph shout yeah i feel my help now shout yeah yeah can't nobody do me like jesus can't nobody do me like the lord shout yeah 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 hey. Hey. Thank you. Thank you for your new job. Thank you for the way he's made. Thank him that he's making your enemies your footstool. Thank him that he's preparing a table in the presence of your enemies. Thank him that he's opening doors, healing your body, making a way, paving a highway through the desert. Shake that hand. Tell him there's power in thanking God. There's power in giving him praise. There's power in thanksgiving Cause can't nobody do me like Jesus Can't nobody do me like the Lord Shout yeah, yeah Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Is that the best you can do to the God of the universe? Clap your hands, open your mouth, and tell him, thank you, thank you, thank you.
somebody say an impetus to intervention. He'll make a way. Won't God make a way? Won't he open up a door? Won't he provide? Won't he heal your heart? Won't he keep your mind? Won't he sad? Grab somebody and say, come on. would really happen if we began to change our strategies and instead of waiting for God to show up we go ahead and thank him 
because he know he is. Come on, open your mouth. Say it to yourself. I know God's going to show up. Come on, speak that to yourself. I know God's going to show up. Come on, say that to yourself. I know God's. I'm telling you, I, I don't even have enough time. Tell you about all the times God has shown up. Hey. Back was against the wall. Woo. Times I couldn't see my way out. Times I prayed to God, God, you said in your word, you, those that trust in you, you won't let them be embarrassed. You won't let them be put to shame. What if, instead of waiting on God to show up, we began to start thanking God because we know he is. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. 